Amen. Good morning. Come on now. Uh, we're going to do a little ground rules. By now, you all know that I'm African-American, which means I'm black. Uh, if, so if you don't be surprised that I'm black, which means a couple things. I'm not going to probably just stand here. I'm going to move around. And black preachers like when the congregation participate. Meaning if you say amen, I'm thinking you're tracking with me. If you don't say amen, I'm, think, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, well, they're not getting it. And so I'm going to keep you here to 3 o'clock. <laughs> so amen will get you out of here. And so heaven is rejoicing. God have never heard so many white people at one time say amen. <laughs> uh, no, what a privilege to be here. Uh, had never personally met Pastor Chris but talked with him a couple times over the phone, and he entrusted me with the stewardship that God have entrusted in his hand. Uh, the connection came through my friend, uh, Brother Doug, and, and so he connected the hoses, and I stand here as a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing the church of Corinth. Paul says, more required of a steward that a man be found faithful, not popular, not great, not articulate, but faithful. One day I will have to give an account to a holy God how I stewarded his word. And so I pray this morning, even if the style is a little different, that you would hear the substance. In the body of Christ, substance should always trump style. Let me say that again. In the body of Christ, substance should always trump style. But because we are North American Christians, we believe and we worship and we worship comfort. And anything that makes me uncomfortable, God must not be in it. Because we believe Jesus came, died, was buried, rose again to make me comfortable. Not to give me life, but to make me comfortable. And so what we have to be careful, including me, that I don't determine what God is in based on my comfort zone, but based on the truth of his word. I also have my wife with me. The Bible says, he that find a wife finds a good thing in favor from the Lord. And so August the 28th of this year, I would have been with my good thing for 34 years. Yeah. I hope I got that number right. You know, we, we, as men, we can sometimes get uh, those numbers mixed up. But if you ever get, guys, I'm going to give you something for free. If you ever miss your wife, you forget the anniversary or you forget the birthday, always use scriptures. Remember it says that a day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And so when they say, honey, you missed my, no, I didn't. I'm just doing it on eternity. I'm not doing it on time. That's no, that's no time on it. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> okay. But uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to really look at the two questions that Jesus asked his disciples. He asked them what the world think of who he is, but then he asked the disciples, the believers, those who have put their faith in him. And that's the question that we're going to ask. But we're going to talk about it from a sports analogy because Jesus do something very unique. He take them through Caesarea Philippi. And if that, if that is not in the scripture, 
You miss, and I will miss the whole context of what Jesus is doing. Now, I love sports. I played sports. I was a running back. That was uh, about 150 pounds ago and about 30, 40 years ago. I know some of you all saying, you look like you could be a lineman. But I promise I was a running back. And so I love sports and sports illustrations. And uh, if you follow in sports, the NBA founders just happened. And I'm a LeBron James fan. Wherever he go, I go. And so if he leave Cleveland, I leave Cleveland. Wherever he go, I go. And watching the founders, there was times that I would get discouraged because Cleveland would be up. And then Steph and Durant and uh, Clay, they would start making threes. Women, I do apologize. I, if you don't like sports, the guys are probably tracking who like sports. The women are like, who is Steph? Who is Clay? I do apologize. I don't know any good cooking. Well, no, that's not. That's not good. That was a bad little story. No, because women do more than cook. God has given you all gifts and talents to build his kingdom. But let's go back to my sports illustration before I go so deep in a hole that everybody will be rolling their eyes at me when I uh, get out of here. So we're just going to leave that alone. But, okay, so Clay and, 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 and Durant, they will begin to make shots, and I will become discouraged because my team was losing. And in, in, in the scripture, the disciples had made a commitment to be on Team Jesus, a team like. They had sacrificed, they had forsaken their nets to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. They had made a commitment. But on the surface, it looks like they're on the losing team. The darkness is prevailing over light. It seemed that darkness is winning. And so Jesus takes them. He knows that they are discouraged. And if you are a believer, when you look in America and look around the world, there's times you and I are discouraged. We're discouraged because of all the things that we see. We're discouraged because abortion is at an all-time high. And it seemed like darkness is winning. We're discouraged because, because of same-sex marriage. And, and, and those things seem like they are winning. And here you and I have made a commitment to follow Jesus. We have picked team light. It seems like darkness is prevailing over light. Drug addictions. Divorce rate is at a high, even in the church. Christians, some of you all are discouraged because your kids who you brought up in the Lord, they went to vacation Bible school and Sunday school, and they're walking away from their spouses. And it seemed like Jesus isn't worth it. Did we pick the right team? Are we on the right team? When you think about darkness, how it's prevailing, human trafficking, don't make sense. How can men take young teenagers and, 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 and kidnap them in and, and human trafficking and have them selling their bodies? 
And if you are a believer, those things would discourage you. And so the disciples are with Jesus. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. And Jesus is going to remind them who team they're on. Now let me say something. The reason you and I know that we're going to win is because in the beginning and at the end. When we open the Holy Scriptures, we see, we see Genesis 3.15. He's tell the enemy team darkness coach leader Satan that the seed Jesus Christ is going to crush your head. You're going to hit his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's telling us right there that you and I are on a team that's going to win. And then in Revelations, we see him exalted as king of kings and lords of lords. That you and I are on the winning team. No matter what it's looking like, we might it's look like we're behind at halftime. But here's the beauty of knowing you're on the winning team. We don't have to come up with a new game plan. We don't have to go in the locker room and try to figure out something new, a new strategy. Jesus Christ is the strategy. He says, when I am lifted up, I would do all the drawing. And that's why Jesus asked his team players two questions. Because you and I must have a conviction that Jesus is who he say he is. And if you and I don't, we're going to forget and we would be discouraged because we would think that the other team is winning. Darkness will never prevail over light. Darkness will never win. No matter what, no matter what the news say. When you cut on the news, more than likely you're going to be discouraged. And the news media is set up to bring anxiety and fear. That's one of his goals, to make us nervous. And so you and I must know the scripture and who team we're on. So let's pick up in verse 13. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity and this morning to look at the truths of your scripture. Father, the questions that you asked the disciples, we, as we unpackage that, I pray that including myself, that men and women in this church this morning will leave encouraged, not discouraged, because of the hope that we have in you. I pray now, Father, that Daryl Smith will decrease and Jesus Christ will increase. I pray that you fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I may speak the word of God with boldness, but it will be full of grace and full of truth. Father, we thank you for this privilege and this stewardship that you have given me to open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13, Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, let me give you back. Jesus, the disciples have been following Jesus. They're with Jesus. He intentionally, strategically take them through Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi at, the, at that time is one of the darkest places in the known world. They are worshiping the God, paying 
the God of the wild and the God of nature. He's half goat, half man. And people are even sacrificing their kids on the altar. And so Jesus is walking through and all this darkness is around the disciples and they're discouraged. And Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? Let's do a survey. Jesus said, Jesus said I, I, I sent you out to do a survey. What, is the, what, is the, what are the polls saying about me? This is what he's asking them. Who do men say that I am? Who do people say that the son of man is? What are people's views on me? And verse 14 says, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist and others Elijah. But others, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Who do people say that I am? I think if we were asked that question today, here are some of the answers we would get. That he was a nice guy. That he was a nice guy. That he was an excellent teacher. He was a historical figure. Those would be some of the answers. He was a cool guy who died in his 30s. He was a prophet. Some would even say that he was an American. That sounds crazy, but we really believe that for God so loved America that he died for America. There's people who really believe that Jesus was or is an American. The problem with that, because Jesus died for the whole world. He didn't die for America. Some would say that Jesus Christ is a Democrat. He must be a Democrat because this is what Democrats believe, and so he had to be a Democrat. Some would say, no, 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 no. Jesus was a Republican. He had to be a Republican because this is what Republicans believe. Bop, 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 bop. Some would say, oh, no, I listen to conservative radio. I know he's a conservative because the, the person I listen to says he was a conservative. Some, you know, some would say, yeah, he had to be a conservative because, because uh, Sean Hannity said it. Bill O'Reilly said it. No, he's a liberal. Uh, Anderson Cooper said it. Al Sharpton said it. And so now we begin to make Jesus something that he's not. He's not an American. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. And Peter is going to tell us in a minute the reason you and I are on the team because of who he is. And if you don't have a conviction that Jesus is who he say he is, you're going to be tossed to and fro. You and I will be tossed to and fro. And every time we look up Jesus, we make him a nice guy. We make him just a good teacher. We make him the man upstairs. You know what the athletes say? I want to thank the man upstairs. What do that mean? What floor he on upstairs? <laughs> what man? Is he on the 8th floor or the 13th floor? And really, what is happening in America? We are pushing God's son out. We're slowly pushing him out. And I don't think it's because the world don't want him. I think it's because believers don't have conviction. 
I think it's more of the, the lack of convictions we have than it's more that the world don't want it. Because the darkness is playing the game the way darkness is supposed to in the scripture. The question is, will light play the game the way we're supposed to play it? Because this is darkness, just the absence of light. Darkness is just the absence of light. And God has called us, in John 17, Jesus is praying. He prayed for two things for the church. He's leaving the world. He knows he's going to die. The crucifixion is around the corner. Now, Jesus is not praying for material stuff. He's on his deathbed. If I'm on my deathbed, I'm probably going to be praying for Gwen and the kids because I love my family. Well, Jesus is praying for the church because he loved the church. He prayed for two things. He prayed for the purity of the church. And he prayed for the unity of the church. This is how he prayed for the purity of the church. He said, Father, sanctify them by thy word. That word is true. Father, set them apart from the world. Now, the sanctification, if you stop right there, you're going to think sanctification is, is about us not having no contact with darkness. But then this is what he says. After he says, sanctify them, set them apart by your word, transform their mind, give them some convictions, let them think not like the world. Now, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them back into the world. Not to become like the world, but to impact the world. And what is happening, we are not living out the prayer and the call. We are conforming to the world. And now we hold our political parties. How do we hold our Savior? I wish I was making it up. Then he prayed for oneness. Father, as we are one, unity, I pray that they will become one. See, when you and I know who Jesus is, you don't have a problem with loving me because I'm black. And I don't have a problem with loving you because I'm your wife. It don't matter what Sean Hannity or uh, uh, Anderson Cooper say. It matter what Jesus say. And the problem, the Bible said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. But a lot of us don't have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of other people. And they are shaping us and they are causing us to have biases against people who Jesus loved and died for. Doug is my brother in Christ. And biblically, I have no other thing but to love him and walk in humility and patience and love and kindness until we all come into the unity of the body together. That's a biblical mandate. That's not something that I made up or you made up and it's not optional. This is how men know they have passed from death unto life, when they have love for one another. If you don't love your brother, you still abide in death. You ought to read it in 1 John. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm not smart enough to make it up. So he asked the question, who do men say that I am? But he don't stop right there. Let's keep reading the scriptures. They tell him, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, it's one thing for the people at work who don't know Jesus to say Jesus was a Democrat, a Republican, a America, a good teacher, a prophet, a nice guy. But what about you, Daryl? What about you, Doug? Who do you say that I am? I know what the world say. And I, and I wrote this, I, I wrote something down. God don't want us to leave him out because the world don't want him in. Let me say that again. God don't want us to leave him out because the world don't want him in. 
Who do you say? See, it's one thing for the world to say all those things, but who do you say that I am? So he shifted the question. Because if you and I don't have a conviction, we'll think that we're on the losing team. Let's look at the rest of it. And Simon Peter answered and said, There are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the deliverer of all the nations. This is his response. There's a conviction in this. And you and I must have a conviction that Jesus Christ is not God somebody, but he's God Almighty. Because if you and I don't have that conviction, we start putting him in those categories that even the world put him in. And we show up as Christians and we say, well, Jesus is not the only way. If you don't believe that, I can, if you come to me, I, tell you, I can send you to some YouTubes where men who are television evangelism are saying things like that now. Because we don't have conviction that Jesus, and Peter has a conviction. Here's the conviction. And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the high, you are Jesus Christ, you are the Son of of the living God. This morning, if Jesus asked you and he asked me, who do men say that I am? We can tell him that survey. But then when he asked us, who do you say that I am? What would you and I say? Amen. And, and that's got to be a conviction. That must be a conviction for the believer. See, the Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolish unto God. Be not conformed to the world. That, that word world comes from the word cosmos, which means an arrangement of order that leave God out the picture. See, remember, darkness is the absence of light. I work for a Christian organization, and sometimes, and I'm a leader, sometimes with my leadership team, we operate in darkness. You know why? Because we are making decisions and lead Jesus out the picture. See, we think darkness is Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer. That's darkness on steroids. <laughs> darkness is any time you and I live our life without Jesus. So when the Bible says be not conformed to the world, he's not saying that, well, the world walk across the street, so you don't walk across the street. What he's saying, here's what a believer do when they walk across the street. Jesus walked with them. That's the difference. So He's not saying the believers don't go to the beach. What he says when we go to the beach, we take Jesus with us. So the youth group is going to the beach. They're taking Jesus with us. What's going to make them different than the other youth group is Jesus. Remember when Moses come back uh, after they build a golden calf and God is upset? God said, look, I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you everything you want in America. I'll give you the American dream. But what you're not going to get is me. He said, I'm not going with you. Then Moses said, look, if you don't go, we don't want to go. Then he said something very unique. 
Because if your presence don't go, what would distinguish us from the rest of the world? The only thing that distinguishes the believer from everybody else is not what political party we with, not what we stand on this, but the presence of the one who loved us and who died for us and who lived in us. Jesus is the game changer. He is the best player that ever lived. He's the GOAT. Jesus is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He's the son of the living God. That's why the Bible says put no confidence in flesh. In the sad commentary, even in the church, when Obama became president, people come up to me and say, oh, you got to be, huh? I said, no, the Bible says put no flesh, no confidence in the flesh. I'm not, I'm, Obama wasn't my deliverer. And Donald Trump is not the deliverer. And the Bushes wasn't the deliverer. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the deliverer for the nations. And you and I have to have a conviction about that. In Psalms 2, it says, why do the heathen, why do the nations rage? Why do they take counsel against God and his anointing? And if God don't get sit in heaven and get mad, the scripture says, God sit in the heavens and laugh. Because he knows that they're on the losing team. This ain't learning what the scriptures say. That's Daryl Smith version. This is what the scriptures say. Because he knows they're in. Men and women, if you and I put our faith in flesh, it will end in destruction. Men and women will let you down and me down. I will let you down. I'm only one pride for thought, a lustful act from destroying everything God trusted me. Me say he have entrusted in my hand. I'm not, there's nothing special about me. How dare me think that I'm the Messiah, the, the deliverer for black folks? No, that's not a, God wouldn't even want me to carry that burden. But as Christians, see, we feel that we're on the losing team. So we need to change the strategy. We need a new game plan. So let's take this person from this party or this person from that party or let's take this person, let's take it. Let's, we, there must be a better game plan because God's game plan is not working because we don't know the end. We're going to win. Darkness will not prevail over light. We're on the winning team and we just got to stay the course. Keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep lifting our eyes to Jesus. I'm not making this up. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because you didn't get that in a seminar. Seminary didn't give that to you. That is a divine revelation. No man come to the son unless the father draw him. This is what he said, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. There's got the reason you and I can have a conviction because God himself, through the spirit of God, by the person of God, Jesus Christ, all three working in the Trinity, draw you and me unto himself. And he redeemed us. We sung about it. Those are not just good songs. Those are biblical truths and convictions that you and I should have. And that's revealed by the spirit of God. He said, you didn't get that in seminary. You didn't get that in a seminar. You didn't go researching that one. The Father in heaven revealed that. 
Have the Spirit of God through the Father God reveal to you the Son of God that he's the only hope for the world today. I'm not against education. I'm spending, they got two adult kids, one 32, one 29, have spent good money trying to get them educated. Underline trying on some of it. Have a 19-year-old in college, so I'm not against education. But education ain't the solution for the problem. I'm not against other things, but that's not the solution to the problem. If you're taking notes, you ought to write this down and hold on to this. The problem started at the first event in the garden. The solution came at the second event at the cross. Everything else is just symptom of the problem. The solution came at the cross. Jesus Christ is the only answer for the world today. He is the only hope. The Bible called him a living hope in uh, Peter. Titus called him a blessed hope. Hope is not something you are, hope is a person. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Everything else is sinking sand. Now, I'm not saying that you and I don't need any money and, you know, it took gas to get here. I had to put gas in the car. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, uh, God told the children of Israel, men don't live by bread alone. But they be, live. He didn't say that you don't live by bread. He said you just don't live by, by itself. And so even Christians, we want to live by bread without Jesus. We want to live by bread alone because we don't have the conviction sometimes. I'm talking about me too. I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking about Daryl Lamar Smith. There's times in my life, in my journey, that I don't think I'm on the winning team. And I want to change the strategy and the play. I want to make an in-game adjustment because Jesus, I just don't think that he's the GOAT, that he's going to take us over the finish line. That's why the Bible says he's the author and the finish of our faith. So let us run this race with endurance. What the Bible is saying, Jesus started the race and he will finish the race. You and I, are in the, and he handed us the baton and we hand it off to each other. And we hand it off to each other. But Jesus started the race, and at the end of the race, the one who crossed the finish line usually get the glory. That's why he get all the glory. And he's worthy of all praise because he started the race. And he will finish the race. We're going to win. We're crossing the finish line first, men and women. You don't have to be discouraged. I don't have to be discouraged about darkness. Would you not hear me say darkness should break our heart? It ought to break our heart enough that we ought to fall on our knees and pray to a holy God. Amen. Not condemn darkness because darkness is doing what darkness should do. We ought to pray for darkness. That it will have an encounter with the light. See, we all know John 3.16, but we removed 17 for whatever reason. 17, Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved. You and I ought to be loving people into the kingdom. We ought to be loving people who are in darkness into the kingdom, not condemning them and talking about them. Oh, I can't. Them people over there, they doing this and they doing this. If they would just leave, we would be a better place, a better world. And no, what they need is Jesus. And if we understand we're on a winning team, he, he brought us out to send us back in. Read Acts 26 when, when Jesus uh, is before King Agrippa. Let me say uh, Paul is before King Agrippa. He tell him that he had a, a Damascus experience on the, on the road of Damascus, and then he say something very unique in 26. 
He said, Jesus told him, I'm delivering you from the Jews and the Gentiles who I'm sending you back to. You ought to read it. Deliverance is always to go redeem other people. Deliverance is not for us to have great gated Christian communities. And we talk about people who are not like us. What he, he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed, transferred us to the kingdom of light so that we can impact a world that is full of darkness. The world is doing exactly what the world should do according to scripture. It's shaking its fists at a holy God. And we are, and God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he's sending us back into the world. And that the world through him might be saved, not condemned. I'm not making this up, y'all. Read your scriptures. And I say, verse 18, and I also say to you that you, Peter, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades should not overpower it. He said, listen, Peter, you're the little rock. I'm not building my church up on you. I'm the big rock. But I will build my church, and Satan and all his demons will not overpower it. They won't win. That you and I are on the winning team. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or you studied the gates, gates was important because at the gates it was their protection, but also it's where counsel and disputes were uh, settled. So if you went into cities, when we think about cities in America, uh, in Israel, cities was not near as big. What we call neighborhoods and communities, sometimes cities was that small. And so what would happen, the leaders would sit at the gate. And they were strategically planned. They would have counsel. And so what, Je what, Peter, what Jesus is telling Peter, listen, Peter, Satan and all his demons are sitting at their gates. And they're trying to come up with game plans and strategies and plays to defeat us, the church. But it won't happen. He said, look, don't get discouraged, disciples. I know you're looking at Caesarea Philippi right now. And I know it looked like we're losing, but we're on the winning team. They won't win. Against Houston and against Cleveland, there was three, four times that Golden State was behind by 14, 15. And Golden State fans were discouraged. And now I was rejoicing. But I had never heard that song before. Death had been arrested. But in the song, this is what stood out. It said, darkness was rejoicing, and it seemed like heaven had lost. Is that what the song said? Darkness was rejoicing. Talking about Jesus on the, darkness was rejoicing, and it seems like heaven had lost. I was rejoicing when Houston was up by 14. I was rejoicing when Cleveland was up by 13. And it seemed like the Warriors had lost. But at the end of the game, the Warriors had prevailed and had overcome a deficit. Men and women, it seems like that heaven has lost. And darkness right now is rejoicing. But I want to give you hope this morning because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You and I are on the winning team. 
We will win. You don't have to be discouraged. We're on the winning team. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he strategically take them to Caesarea Philippi. Let me promise you something. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is true, there's not one verse, and if you can call me, get my email, text from Doug, if you can show me this, there's not one verse in the scripture, in the Bible, that teaches that God's end goal is to make America or the world a better place. Matter of fact, the scripture teach that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If Jesus delay his coming for 20 years, we'll look back on 2018 as good days. The world is going to get worse. Here's the Christian hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the Christian hope. Not that America is going to become a battle world, but here's the Christian hope. That Jesus Christ is coming back. And one day, he's going to take us out of this world. We call it the rapture. The church is to call up one. This is not about being a battle world. We're going to a battle world. And Revelation says there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more hardship, no more divorce, no more racism, none of that. Injustice. And Jesus should wipe all the tears from our eyes. That's the Christian hope. That's the hope for the believer. Now, I love this country. I served in the military three years. I love America. I'm a patriot, but I love Jesus more. I'm a citizen of heaven, too. And my citizenship in heaven is more than my citizenship in America. And I love it. And nobody can question that I would have laid my life down for America. But Jesus laid his life down for me. Real quick. Want to look at, real quick, we're going to run through them quick, then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to knock out all those myths about black preachers <laughs> that we preach for two, three hours. I have been in black churches where the preacher preached two, three hours, but I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> I promise I'm not going to be that guy. I, they gave me the 1045. I'm going to get out five minutes early so I can mess up all your thinking. You're going to be like, he got us out. Wow. Hey, Aunt, Aunt Jenny, the black guy preached today, and he got us out at 1040. Good googly mind. That ain't what I was taught. <laughs> Y'all, I wanted to be a comedian. God called me to be a preacher. But Jesus, who did Jesus say that he is? Jesus says in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. He who come to me will never go hungry, and, who, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, I want you to understand, bread is a, uni, a universal commodity. No matter where you go in the world, people are going to eat bread. Jesus said, I am that commodity that everybody needs, no matter where you're at in the world. That's why Jesus came to save the world. He's the bread of life. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. But not only that, Jesus said that he's the gate. In John 10, 9, he said, I'm the gate. Whoever entered through me will be saved. He will come in and out and find pastor. Pastor means rest. Christ is the only one who can truly give us rest of peace. The Bible says he is our peace. He's the gate to that peace. 
Jesus says that I'm the light of the world. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever followed me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is talking about he's that wisdom. Light gives us wisdom. It leads us and directs us. That's why the Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolish unto God. Jesus is the light. What I love about John, and, and, and when John writes in John chapter 1, he said, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. He was a man. He was a man. He was a man. He had a name. His name was John. The Bible said he came to bear witness of the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light, and through him all men will believe. When you and I walk in the light, we impact people's lives who are in darkness. That's who Jesus is. Jesus said he's the good shepherd. Uh, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might have the righteousness of God in him. What God did, if you want to know the Easter story, just read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The Easter story is right there. For God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that you and I might have the righteousness of God in him. What God did, he took your sins and my sin, and he put them on his holy son. And for the first time in Scripture, we see that the God the Father and God the Son have a, co a communication, but not as God the Father, God the Son, because God turns his back on his son, and his son said, my God, my God, where have you forsaken me? Because God is so holy. He didn't turn his back because of something Jesus did. He turned his back because he put all the sins of Jesus, all the sins of the world on his only begotten son. And so he laid his life down for us. And, 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 and Isaiah say, and when God looked at the sacrifice, don't miss this church, and it pleased God. God was pleased because he loved you and I so much that he took all the sins that you and I, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love for us, not when we had it all together, not when we straightened up. Romans 5, 8 say God demonstrated his love for us, and while we was yet sinners, Christ died for us. Men and women, Christ didn't die for good folks. He died for messed up folks. And you, it's okay for us to say we was messed up. This is how he said, I was once was lost, but now I'm found. If you, don't, if you can't grip with the, the goodness and the loving kindness of God, in Romans chapter 2, it says that the loving kindness and the tolerance and the forbearance and the patience of God is to lead a man to repentance. Not that we think we're slick and getting away with something. The reason God hasn't consumed us so we can repent. That's the loving kindness of God. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, look, there's a lot of ways to get to Chattanooga, but there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through me. We will never show up and be able to bag, brag and boast about we're in heaven. When we all get to heaven, it'll be because of the grace of God. That's why he say, it's not a works unless any man will boast. We'll go around and say, you know what? I taught Sunday school. That's why I'm in heaven. You know what? I gave more money. It was, go pull the books at, at the church of Florida. I gave more money than anybody. That's why I'm in heaven. This is what, this is what God says in the song. If I was hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. 
God don't need us. It's a privilege that God allows us to participate in his kingdom work. You're not, God didn't save you because you have gifts and talents. God didn't save me because I like to talk. And so that means I could be a good preacher. That ain't why he saved me. He saved me because I was lost. God redeemed us because we're lost, not because we have something to bring to the table. Jesus is the only way. He's the truth and he's the life. Jesus also says that he's the resurrection and the life. John 11, 25 and 26. He says, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You think about that. In America, we know how to get to the moon. We know how to do a lot of things. We have phones that are really computers now with a phone on it. We have all kind of technology. But what we haven't been able to figure out is how to defeat death. That's how, through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to defeat death. Trust me, if mankind could figure out a pill that keep us around for 250 years, we would do it. Man never been able to defeat death, and man feared death. We sung about how death has been arrested. This is how the scripture said, Oh, death, where's your sting? Death has no more sting. Death has been defeated. Death has been arrested. Men and women, what people fear... People who have money, people who don't have money, if they're Asian-American, African-American, white American, Latino American, mankind fear, fear death. The only way you're going to conquer death is through the person of Jesus Christ because the scripture says, I'm not making it up, this is what the scripture says. Look, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Men and women, that's why he says in Thessalonica, to the church of Thessalonica, we sorrow, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Now in the black community, I'm going to give y'all some culture, just some culture stuff. This is kind of what we do in the black church. Pookie die. And because we are expressive people, God made us that way. So we show our expression. So we'll start saying stuff like this at the funeral. Oh, Pookie, get up, Pookie. You can't go, Pookie. Oh, Grandmama, no, Grandmama. And sometimes we try to pull Grandmama out the casket. I mean, that's true. That's culture. Here's the problem. If Grandmama get up, we all leaving. <laughs> I know I'm saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. If Grandmama get up, I'm out of there. We don't have to pull, if you know Jesus, you don't have to pull grandmama up. And if grandmama knew Jesus, you might, you could miss grandmama, but you sorrow, but not as those who hope. Because even though we die, we, we still live. We don't die because of Jesus Christ. See, the word resurrection means to rise, to die no more. The Bible says Jesus is the, he gives the order in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. So Lazarus was not resurrected, he was restored to life because he died again. Here's the Christian hope that one day you and I are going to die, but we're going to be resurrected to never die again. That's the hope for the believer. Now, you know, I mean, I know that truth, but I want to stay around, see my grandkids and kids and Gwen's still young and attractive. I'm not ready for her to die. She get the insurance money, then marry some young guy, and they take vacation off my insurance money. I'm like, look, let me die 80 when she don't want to go nowhere anymore. And, uh, I ain't dying young. Me and God already have a pact. I'm staying around till she's too old to remarry and, and spend all the insurance money on another man. 
Something ain't right about that. But that don't have nothing to do with the scripture. Take that out your notes. That ain't in the scripture. <laughs> the last one we're going to wrap up. Oh, we're going to beat five. Oh, we're going to beat. It's 1035 on that clock. We're going to even beat 1040. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. I give life. That's what the vine do. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying this. You must stay plugged into the power source. Men and women, the Christian life is not about overcoming sin. It's about allowing Christ to overcome us. And when he overcomes us, he empowers us to overcome sin. The Christian, let me say that again. The Christian life is not about overcoming sin. It's about allowing Christ to overcome us. And when he overcomes us, he empowers us. Let me give you an illustration. I'll wrap up. I go to the store, and I buy a $5,000 lamp. And I go to a yard sale, and I buy a $5 lamp. The $5,000 lamp externally look good. But I take them both home, and I only plug up the $5 lamp. The $5 lamp is able to live out its purpose because it's plugged into the source. What Jesus is saying in John 15, I am the power socket. You must stay plugged into me. Away from me, you just a pretty $5,000 lamp that can do nothing. We want to stay plugged into the person of Jesus Christ. And he empower us to live a victorious life. Some of you all might came in here this morning discouraged. Because you look at CNN, you look at Fox, you look at MSB, NBC, you look at, you listen to conservative or liberal uh, radio, and you're discouraged. You ought to be brokenhearted over sin. Don't hear me, I'm not saying that. But I want to encourage you, you're on the winning team. Have a conviction that Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the deliverer of the nations, the son of the living God. Let's pray.